This podcast is recorded in front of a live studio audience at Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. Mabel, say, you're listening to the Two Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. Welcome to episode 43 of THN, a post-Thanksgiving episode where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, November 23rd. My name is Matt Baum, and when I'm not nursing a turkey and tequila hangover with a healthy dose of Gamera movies, I'm writing about an appraising comics at WorkPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick, artist and co-creator of Good Plus Online, and when I'm not fighting off a horde of Black Friday savings-eating zombies with a shotgun and chainsaw hand, I'm the manager of Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. Actually, I'm doing both of those things in that scenario. <laughs> this week, THN reviews Fantastic Four 600 and the Mighty Thor number 8 in the all-Marvel special, apparently. Great. Then we'll review 10 comics so fast you'll know we're making it up in the ludicrous speed round. <laughs> After that, we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where arcane magics will allow us to peer into the future of next week's comics. And finally, we get to our review of Kagan McLeod's Infinite Kung Fu as part of our Take a Look, It's in a Book segment, which you guys probably forgot about. It's been so damn long since we've done one. Of the Clan McLeod. There's been a lot of Highlander jokes in this show lately. Before we get to all that deviant pornography, let's throw beer cans at Indomitian Sue and demand that if he's going to be this big of a jerk, he has to be traded to damn raiders. And then we'll talk about this week's big news. Football. Yes, it was football. <laughs> In a story tailor-made to appeal to me personally, the Hollywood Reporter reported, I wrote that, that the Sci-Fi Channel has ordered a pilot script based on the DC Comics character Booster Gold. Oh, boy. <laughs> no good can come of this. Now, assuming this thing actually gets made... This won't be Booster's first appearance on the small screen. The character appeared in a Jeff Johns penned episode of Smallville yeah, during one. the show's final season. It was good. No, it was not. No, that was a good episode. I will not take the Smallville apologist. Whatever. Crap. No, I hate Smallville except for certain things. While it seems unlikely that it could capitalize on any ties to the larger DCU, a show about, quote, a washed up athlete from the future who travels back to the present in hopes of becoming the greatest superhero of all time. Seems like it could be a good fit for the network that brought us Eureka and Warehouse 13 and Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus. And Boa versus Bigger Boa. Here's why no good can come of this. Uh, because imagine a DC universe where Booster Gold is the only character. You want to read that comic book? Well, it's not a comic book. It's a TV show. I'm asking if you would read that comic book. No. Nope. And guess what? He's going to be the only hero in this universe on this show. That's fine. They're not going to mention anyone else i don't care and i'm saying booster gold doesn't work for me in that world booster gold works in the dcu for me not on his own and it's not gonna work here and it's a sci-fi network they had like seriously i almost said they don't do anything right but i did love battlestar galactica and there are several really excellent remake, original shows the remake of being human was really good eureka is Enjoy. an excellent show i never watched warehouse 13 is I've an excellent show and i'm not saying that they can't do good shows alphas i'm saying i hate haven dc ideas where they're taken out of the dc universe and stuck in their own world now hold on i didn't that's not a for sure that's I, just a speculation i know i'm speculating here but i bet you anything that's what we get and if Maybe. that's what it is, I am not interested. But I think uh, I think a series and about John a time Reese traveler Davies that's it, trying to be... A... <laughs> what? John Reese davies is in like every original movie they make for some reason. <laughs> and he's old and he's drunk now. Leave him alone. Hey, you know what? Color me excited. Sala's Moving on. not looking so good anymore. Read your story. 
In other Hollywood news, director Christopher Nolan had some interesting revelations about The Dark Knight Rises to share with Empire Magazine. In the UK Film Magazine's most recent issue, Nolan revealed that a six to seven minute prologue to The Dark Knight Rises will screen in front of IMAX showings of Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol beginning yeah. on December 21st. Okay, I'm excited for Mission Impossible. Me too. I was going to see it anyway. Now I have to see it in IMAX. Certainly. So I can get sick and throw up. Nolan said that the teaser will serve as a, quote, introduction to Bane and a taste of the rest of the film. Yeah. Nolan also let slip the upcoming sequel takes place eight years after The Dark Knight. Also, this week, hey. DarkKnightRumors.com You can find everything on the internet. Apparently. Report, well, unfortunately. Everything. Reported that a trailer labeled E... Page, that's E period page, presumably Ellen Page. Ellen Page was recently spotted on or near the Dark Knight Rises New York set. Well, you know, close enough to count. by to have a bagel or something. <laughs> Page having a cameo in the film wouldn't be especially noteworthy. After all, she's worked with Nolan before. What makes it interesting is that the report that the sign on the trailer listed her character's name as B. Gordon. What? Joe. B. Gordon. This is a lot to take in. That's what do we think? Babs. I don't know. I've just been incepted. I think it's awesome. What are we going to do when Leonardo DiCaprio shows up? Holy crap. Oh, man. Look, if it's so the movie takes place eight years in the future. Which I'm fine with. A lot of people freaked out about that. No way. I think it's great. If I recall, they showed a young Barbara Gordon like in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like opening the door to the apartment or something like that. So if it's eight years later, she'd be at that age. Obviously, they can't. They're not going to do Batgirl. Right. Because this is Christopher Nolan's Batman. Right. And there's no room for that. And I'm fine with her playing Barbara Gordon. And and if it is Ellen Page, well, she's going to have more than a cameo, I would say. Yeah, certainly. You don't go grab Ellen Page for a cameo, you know? Now, this this little last bit is pure rumor, and it should be taken with a grain of salt. But if it's true, I think it's really great but that's what we do here rumor and, and speculation and i am holding out hope that joseph gordon levitt is dick grayson not some nameless cop Green. we'll get the switcheroo and be like ha no i just think that the whole john blake news uh revelation is is false wow false that'd be that'd be meta they're lying to us deep incepted wow finally this week's kick-ass two number five had the same outrageous ultraviolence that we've all come to expect from mark miller but it also featured something that may have caught many readers off guard a huge print ad directing fans away from the digital marketplace and back into comic shops in a follow-up interview on comic book resources miller decried the idea of day and date digital releases saying quote I think digital could be a useful tool, but I'm increasingly concerned for friends in retail that they're going to get shafted here. The writer goes on to call direct market comic shops the lifeblood of the medium and comic creators, quote, greatest asset for the past 30 or 40 years. In the interview, Miller offers an alternative approach to the burgeoning digital market, equating it to the film industry. In short, his philosophy sees comic shops as movie theaters, where your biggest fans rush to get their fix, trade paperback collections as the DVD market, where less hardcore readers can be found, and digital as broadcast TV, home to the most casual mainstream readers. In Miller's scenario, when a comic finally makes it to digital release, those readers could enjoy it at a much lower price point, and the platform could still serve to get those fans excited about future releases. Now, with digital comics being all the rage, it's unusual to see a popular creator take such a hard stance against them. Matt Baum, tell me what you think. I like what he's saying. And I agree with what he's saying. Unfortunately, I don't think we can put the toothpaste back into the bottle. It's true. I don't think it can be stopped now. And there's such a market here 
that they're trying to tap. And the market is limitless, literally limitless. And this is something they probably should have done five or ten years ago. And they're getting to it late as it is. I don't think there's any rolling back on it now. And as much as I agree with him, I love the comic shop. I love the comic shop experience. I, I mean, we are directly tied to a comic shop. We are directly tied to a comic shop. Yeah. And without a comic shops, I couldn't get my comic. It's true. But I, like I said, I don't think you can put the genie back in the bottle. Yeah. I mean, and look, I'm no expert. I'm not an economist. And his idea sounds good on paper, but it's possible there are realities here that we're not seeing. I do like his idea, however. I think the idea, still using it as a place to catch readers that aren't already interested, and that if a reader is not already interested, they're not going to be necessarily concerned about the release date. Oh, absolutely. So it's okay to give it to hardcore fans early, and then give it to new fans or casual fans later, right? but for way cheaper. And that sounds good on paper, but I will say, I think that's going to end up pushing people towards more piracy. Because they say, well, I don't want to wait for it to come out digitally, so I'll go to the site and download the scan or whatever. Yeah, but you know, before everybody got on the digital bandwagon, it's not like piracy was really I'm saying, flushing comics down the toilet. No, it's not, but we could see an increase based on this. I don't Maybe. know. I don't know. It's it just an interesting thought. It, it It is interesting thought, and I like what he's saying. The problem lies in the fact that if they're going to do this, they have to make it as easy and as timely as possible yeah. for the people that want to read it. And making them wait is not going to encourage those digital sales that they want. And really, anytime Mark Millar has something calm, reasoned, and well thought out to say, yeah. it's worth talking about. He has, yeah, he's really been a voice of reason, like for the past month. Weird. Really kind of weird. Yeah, I know. That is this week's big news. If you want to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, hit us up on our Facebook page where DJ and I have been stepping on digital necks and breaking digital shins way before the pain. Review time is here, and as always, Matt and I had a turkey chili chugging competition to see who goes first. And believe it or not, Matt won after my disqualification following a reversal, which is what they call puking in eating competitions. That's right. A reversal? A reversal. <laughs> Matt, take it away. This week I read Fantastic Four, number 600, written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Steve Epting, Carmine D.G. and Menico. <laughs> Lenny Liu and Farrell Dalrymple. Man, that last name is the bane of my existence. More than Gian Domenico? I can sound that one out. Gian Domenico. It's you the, say it like that every time. L and the R and the Y right next to each other. What is this guy, Welsh? I mean, Buy it! Come on. Review time is over! <laughs> All right, here's your solicitation. This is Forever, part one. This is it, the 50th anniversary issue of the Fantastic Four. This month, we begin the five-part conclusion to the story that began over 30 issues ago. Join what? us for the epic celebration of Marvel's first fan. Family, with 96 pages of all new content written by yada 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 you know the rest hickman like it says has been building to this story from his very first issue and there is a lot going on here. so much so <laughs> You've much got reed's father in latveria now hold on before we continue we're spoiling this yeah, book there's no way and it's already all over the internet like, uh, and as usual marvel was talking about it the day before it came my out my wife et came cetera, to me cetera. and went so blank is did blank. you hear what about you the thing biting mr fantastic's head off <laughs> which we, i did not see that coming <laughs> wow uh you've got reed's father in latveria with doom and his son christoph who i still don't totally understand his existence but that's not important the he's not his son he's like um like an heir apparent he he's like uh he a kid from the village that he kind of took in as a ward. Okay, I remember that. 
Yeah. I remember It's that. from the 80s. Got it. Uh, the Kree are attacking New York. The anti-priests of Annihilus are attempting to open the negative zone to allow the evil bugs of the negative zone through. The Annihilation Wave. The kids of the Future Foundation teleport to the, the top of the Baxter building to the moon. What? The Inhumans have been targeted for extinction by the Kree, who they thought they were ruling. And to top it all off, Franklin Richards might be a god. Franklin Richards must <laughs> die. Oh, and, spoiler alert, when the negative zone does open up, Johnny Storm comes out with Annihilus on a leash. Oh, my God. Face. <laughs> this was one of the few times that I made a noise while reading a comic book. Yeah. I, like, turned the page went, oh, shit. <laughs> it was just great. And that's a great scene because it's like, yeah. Pete, what are you wearing? Yeah. Because <laughs> Spider-Man is yeah. wearing his Future Foundation yeah. costume. Not what I expected. I had a feeling Johnny was coming back. I did not see it coming like this. And I find myself really torn. Because I totally like Spider-Man mm. and the Fantastic Four. Well, we'll get to that later, I, I guess. I totally like him. Everything Hickman sets up here is awesome. You've got Reed's dad helping Doom. You've got alternate reality Reed's working with Annihilus. You've got Galactus discussing what Loki did with the creation seed that they found and hid in the roots of the world tree. And telling Fantastic Four they've got to do something about it. Oh, and mentioning, do you know what your son Franklin's been doing? Like, when Galactus comes to you and says, hey... I got to talk to you about your By kid. By the way. <laughs> yeah. These are huge, huge. Like, there is not one of these plot lines that is small in any way. Yeah. You know? Let's talk for a second about the Johnny story, which is the bulk of the issue. It's the middle part, the middle story. Whatever happened to Johnny Storm. Johnny Storm, yeah. And that's the Carmine Digiment, Digen Domenico. Ha ha! In your face. Digen Domenico. <laughs> and, um... It, it's longer than the rest, and yeah. it's basically what happened to Johnny after the doors closed right. in the issue where he, quote-unquote, died. And he died. Yeah. Oh, repeatedly. He died. Um, And it's brutal, and it's great, and they introduce this team of warriors from, uh, like, these kind of... The Light Brigade. These cast-offs like from this... the Universal Inhumans. Right. And they are awesome. Totally awesome. And, oh, it's so good. And they reveal... If you think back to the final issue of Fantastic Four from before FF launched, uh, 588, right. where it's all silent, right, and they show Reed coming to the door of the negative zone and Annihilus holds up oh, yeah, Johnny's yeah. costume, Ugh. they fill in all of that. What was said, what happens, uh, Annihilus's motivations are revealed. It's so great. Yeah. Was, and that artist is amazing. He did an excellent job. And Every I, time I see him, I like him more and more. Everybody on this book, all the artists that worked on this were fantastic. The Feral Dalrymple part at the end where it's Nailed it. what's going, what's been going on from Franklin's point of and view. It's like he has this really sketchy kind of childish style and it works so well. It's at both really cute and also kind of terrifying Yeah, because it's like... Oops, I accidentally created a universe. Yeah. Better hide it in the closet. <laughs> yeah. Carmine. I'm going to call him Carmine. Yeah, Carmine's Carmine. bugs are absolutely terrifying. Yeah. I will say, I feel like Annihilus is too small. He is small. Why? I think he's, he's like regrowing. He's growing? From, after, from dying, he was killed in a, an oh, annihilation. That's right. That's right. And that's part of his that's deal right. is he's constantly they brought resurrected. brought him back and he came out of Cocoon. He was little. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so he's, getting, he's bigger. getting bigger. And so it's like little kid Annihilus. I love it. it Every was... page. So I said this on Facebook on Tuesday night when I read it. I said, you're going to look at Fantastic Four on the stands and you're going to balk at the buying it because it's $7.99. Yes. But it's 96 pages. And yes. I double checked. There are so few ads in this book. 
it's probably about 85 pages of all story yeah. and maybe a 10, 15 ads tops. It is excellent. And it's, I cannot give this a bigger buy. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's five comics worth of story for the price of three comics. Yeah, if you are not reading Jonathan Hickman's Fantastic Four and you are a Fantastic Four fan, you are doing yourself a disservice. These are some of the best Fantastic Four stories I have ever read. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying I put it up there. Number one, I think, of my favorite Fantastic Four stories. Now, I will admit that there have been parts in Hickman's run where I've I've kind of lost the plot. It happened a little bit towards the end of the run of FF, the most recent run of FF. There's just a lot going on. But reading Fantastic Four 600, it all came together. Yeah. And I put that book down and I went. <sighs> and it all came wow. together. Not in, a, <laughs> not in a Grant Morrison way where we went, oh, okay. Oh, I get it not now. not completely schizophrenic. <laughs> right, right, no. <laughs> not like that it, at all. It came together in this sense. It was seamless. He's been telling the story in parts and pieces. And now all those pieces have locked in. And we see where the family is. And we see where the family is going to go. And it's going to be scary. Yeah. It, and I cannot wait. It, buy it, buy it, buy it. Agree. Strong buy it. Joe, tell us about the Mighty Thor, number eight. All right. This one was written by Matt Fraction with art by Pasquale Ferry. Color art by Frank Armata. The Mighty Tanneris, chapter one. Colon. Colon. Lost. Lost. Tanneris is the new god of thunder, and yet he has always been the god of thunder. Tanneris was there when the Avengers were formed. Tanneris is oath brother to Beta Ray Bill. <laughs> Tanneris saved Earth from the serpent. Tanneris did all of those things, and yet he did none of them. Something is very wrong in Asgard, and the only one who senses it is the one god no one trusts. Kid Loki. I love it. It's so good. <laughs> uh, I can't get enough Kid Loki to tell you. I love it. Yeah. It opens with the traditional Marvel recap page, and for a change, I read it because somehow I missed a couple issues of Thor. But it told you everything you needed to know up to... The end of Fear Itself. You could jump right in never having read it. Mm -hmm. You don't need to know what happened in Fear Itself or even previous Thor issues for the most part. And if that weren't enough, there's uh, it opens with Heimdall breaking down Asgard's current status quo in a single page as he explains it to both the reader. But not in an annoying way. No. He's like it's swearing like, his allegiance right. to the new All-Mother. The All-Mother. Freya, Gaia, and... Uh, Iden. Iden? Or Iden? Iden? the Iden. The woman that harvests uh, the golden apples that keep yes. the Asgardians immortal. Moving on, in the same way he served as Asgard's scientific advisor in Fraction's <laughs> first issue, Volstag is lending his expertise yeah. to the rebuilding of Asgard. He's, the, he's their head architect. Yeah. <laughs> and it is a hilarious scene that also introduced uh, Tanneris to the book for the first time. Now, Fraction uh, reveals at least... The partial truth behind Tanneris early on, and I'm not going to spoil this one, but I am glad he did. Uh, I think that the more interesting parts of this story, at least to me, are the motivations behind the villains and Loki's quest to find out yeah, why Loki, no one remembers Thor. Loki exposing the fraud. We pick it up just as confused as everybody else. Who's Tanneris? What is he doing here? And Fraction just yanks that bandit off immediately. And it's fun. It's a really fun way that he... It, it was a great reveal. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, and it doesn't come off as cheesy. It doesn't come off as, oh, yeah, they're replacing Thor or whatever. You know, like, this is fun. This is a story moment here. This works with a narrative. And I will say, uh, looking back to the promotional material that came out during Fear Itself, they released the first promo image to Shattered Heroes, and it sh originally showed Thor... And then the very next month, Thor was replaced with yeah, Tanneris. And everyone pose. went, 
what? <laughs> it makes total sense now yeah. because Thor's place in history has been overwritten. Right. And uh, this is the story of why. And then we get a glimpse of what's going on with Thor since he, quote unquote, died at the hands of the serpent and fear itself. And he and his new friends are being pulled where dead gods go into the maw of the Demogorge. Yeah. Ooh. And that final page was really <laughs> creepy. It's a giant monster face. The subplot looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. The art is amazing. Yeah, Pascal Ferry, man. Yeah. That guy was made to draw this book. Oh, yeah. I love it. And, uh, Pascal Ferry and Frank D'Armada are like Jerome O'Pena and Dean White on X-Force. The tone of the book is different, but the art and color combine to create something that's greater right. than the sum of its parts. Yeah, no, I mean, these guys are working like telepathically. Yeah, obviously. it's amazing looking. I can't say enough about it. Fairy just has such an inventive style and it pops off the page and mm -hmm. his creature designs are just really great. Yeah, they're not cheesy or overly alien or too magical and too fantasy. Like everything works. Yeah, it the all matches together. The sorcery, it all looks fantastic. And the coloring by Daramata just puts it over the top. It, it is so good and it completely offsets the ill will kind of left behind by Fear Itself, which we agreed was not great. Could have been better. Um, but this issue... It's almost like all of Fear Itself could have been told in one issue setting up this storyline. Yeah, I think I agree with that. And, you know, if, if that crossover left you cold, uh, even if you didn't like it, I'm saying check out Mighty Thor number eight. You don't need to have enjoyed or even read Fear Itself. It's a great setup to a great story. And I you're really still, liked it. This is only issue number eight. One through seven are probably out there. And this series is fantastic. I do really enjoy it. Absolutely worth a read. So strong buy it for me. Same here for me. So that is a double buy it for both Fantastic Four 600 and Mighty Thor number eight. Let it not be said that we are not Marvel fans. As always, we want to know your opinions of the comics we reviewed, so hit us up on our Facebook page and let us know how moronic and malinformed our opinions really are. I don't think malinformed is a word. Well, you wrote it, buddy. It's true. Now it's time for Matt and I to jump into the T-Gen land speeder and haul ass to Tashi Station to pick up some power converters while reviewing 10 comics instead of watching the road for unattended sand children during the ludicrous speed round. Lots of kid dying jokes in the last few Just, shows, too. Have you been feeling all right? Ludicrous speed! Go! Astonishing X-Men, 44. It was okay. I was... <laughs> I was Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> no, I mean, I was looking forward to it. Astonishing X-Men's been kind of rudderless for a long time. Yeah. And, you know, Greg Pak and Mike McCone, I like both those guys. You I thought this might be good. two rudderless books now. Yeah, I, I, best I can say is that it was okay. I'm giving it a skim it. I'll probably read the next one. I Vampire, number three. This book is fantastic. This book is really good. The art is good. The story is fun. They're building to something really interesting. It looks like the vampires are going after Batman really soon. Ooh. And I can't wait. I have to buy it. I love it. Nice. Lock and Key, Guide to the Known Keys. Uh, this was a great little one-shot special from Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez. It had a really heartbreaking lead story about one of the Locke family uh, ancestors. I thought he was just a guy. I thought that's all it was. There is a short story, uh, like a 16-page oh, story at okay. the beginning, and then there is a guide at the end, and each section of the guide is written by one of the ancestors, so it starts off written in Old English. That's cool. And then it ends being written in crayon by Bode, the main, or Bode, the main character. <laughs> anyway, it's great. Strong by it. People should be reading Lock and Key. Secret Avengers 19, go! I just don't know what to think about this book because it's really well written. Warren Ellis does a great job, but I'm not buying that Steve Rogers does this. 
and it doesn't make sense that Steve Rogers is fulfilling this role as like Black Ops Hitman, basically. This this book just doesn't make sense, and if they just stuck Bucky in Steve's place, it would totally work. Skim it. Ah! Oh man, Invincible '85. There is a lot of sex in this book. A lot, really? Yes. Alien on alien sex. Oh, man. Alien on human sex. It's a family show. It's just up and down, just nonstop humping. Buy it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fun little story dealing with the fallout of the Viltrumite War. I am really curious to see what's happening. I'm giving it a buy it. And Cory Walker's back on art for two issues. Go, Captain Bucky, six twenty four. This book's so damn good. This book is so damn good. It this has- is Chris Simon's final issue. I know, which is too bad. But uh, what's his name? Francesco Francavilla. Francesco is coming on, and that guy is awesome, and I can't wait. I love this book, and it's got this fantastic feel to it. It's really good. They're fleshing out Bucky right now. Buy it, buy it, buy it. Wolverine the X-Men number two. Another great issue. Uh, this book is tons of fun, and of the two main relaunches, this is my favorite one. I think this is the best one. And it's got the start of the secret romance I never saw coming. Woo. Buy it and find out. Godzilla, Kingdom of Monsters, number nine. I was a little bummed when Eric Powell left this book and was afraid he was going to go downhill. It didn't. It's still a ton of fun. I love the art. I love the story. Buy it. Shade, number two. <laughs> this is so good. It is not bad in fact. Cully Hamner. I love you too. You did it. It was great. This is just more... Uh, this is more evidence that James Robinson should be writing a one-character book. Yeah, it, it's just... It's got that Starman feel. It's plugging a hole in my life that I didn't know I had. Buy it. It's wonderful. Voodoo number three. You know what? This book is great. Shut up. Voodoo number three is great. And we get to see Ron Mars writing Kyle again as Green Lantern. Ron Mars is leaving the book. I know he's leaving the book, which is too bad because this is good. The art is good. The story is interesting. She is not a good guy. I'm actually on board for this one. Buy it. There you have it. That is your ludicrous speed round, and boar is the sound an Asgardian ice monster thing makes when Tanneris throws his cane thing through its head. A lot of things. And now you know. Now, it's time once again. This is the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to open the eye of Agamotto, to cheat time and peer into the future to discuss next week's comics. Joe, what book? As the hoary hosts of Hoggoth chosen for you. My pick for next week is Haunt, number 19. That's right, Haunt, number 19 by Joe Casey and Nathan Fox. Robert Kirkman and Todd McFarlane are off the book. Which is probably better for the Haunt. It's probably better for the Haunt. Because that book sucks. I like it. But Joe Casey is a crazy person, and I'm sure he is on all the drugs. I'm very curious to see where Joe Casey takes New Spawn, as I like to call it. And Nathan Fox is a good artist, despite what Matt Baum called it. Sev- called him several episodes ago. I did. You called him the Paul Pope ripoff. Oh, that's true. No, he's good. He's a good Paul Pope ripoff. And I'm really eager to see where, what trippy directions Joe Casey takes the book in. Matt, share your thoughts on your pick. My pick for next week is Thunder Agents, Volume Two, Number One, by Nick Spencer and Wesley Craig. I loved. The first Thunder Agent series. Who's I'm sad. I have no idea. And I looked him up, couldn't find crap on the guy. Okay. I loved the first series. I'm a little bummed this one is only a six-issue miniseries, but I'll take what I can get. I wonder how long we're going to be able to get away with this nonsense I before somebody yells at us. <laughs> it could be kind of annoying.
It's been almost two damn months since we announced it, but we are proud. I don't think it was our fault, though. No, I mean, a lot of crap went down. I get it. We're proud to finally bring you guys our review of Kagan McLeod's Infinite Kung Fu as part of a little segment we like to call the Clan Club. Take a look. It's in a book. How many Highlander jokes can come on? That's two. That's two today. It's really just the same. It's the same Highlander joke. <laughs> Kagan McLeod's Infinite Kung Fu came out about three or four months ago, as I recall, from Top Shelf. Sure. It was a giant like 475 page it, it was 400 i think the final uh written page was f- page 463 yes that is correct yeah but it goes into I just you know, finished reading the story of kagan mcleod this is kagan mcleod's open love letter to the chinese and japanese kung fu and samurai films of the late 60s early 70s that as a child he would rent from a local video store and the intro to this book is written by a guy that worked at that video store. Colin Geddes wrote the forward. He's an international programmer for the Toronto International Film Festival. He started off at this local video store where Kagan McLeod would come in and request these really weird, obscure kung fu flicks. And he was shocked. Like, this kid actually knows what he's talking about and would order them for him. And then they discussed them at length. He started coming into his shop with the comics that he had drawn, the beginnings of Infinite Kung Fu, basically saying, what do you think of my comics? And this guy fell in love with them. So I was like, you've got to keep doing this. This is fantastic. And it is. As a guy who myself grew up watching like USA Kung Fu Sundays, where they would have like four and a half, like six hours of Kung Fu movies starting at like seven in the morning on Sunday. And I was glued. I loved these movies. And it is so obvious that McLeod paid very close attention and holds these movies in very high regard because this stuff is just excellent and his art lends itself to it perfectly. This is a it's a very fluid style. Everyone very is animated, kind yeah. of lanky. You know, they've got a they're very flexible looking. Yeah. You know, it's well, hard to describe. But he's cartooning here, is what he's doing. It kind of looks like Mad Magazine art. It, sort of, yeah. I mean, it's very fluid. It's very loose. You know what? It, I think in the back it says he works for Mad Magazine. So there you have I it. I think he did some stuff before, yeah. He is a he's an illustrator and he's also worked with like several really legitimate magazines and stuff. So not and, just comics. Yeah, so unfortunately he makes real money, so we might not see him doing a lot Sorry. more comics. I would love to see more from him because this is just fantastic stuff. He also mixes in these themes of sort of like 70s black exploitation with some of the characters. Well, yeah. There's a character named Moog Jugular who learned a special type of kung fu where he can remove his limbs. It's so great. And fight with them. Moog Jugular <laughs> is my favorite character name of all time. But it really follows the main character, Lee Kung, who is very much a Bruce Lee analogy. <laughs> like, it's, it's yeah, pretty yeah. obvious. Let, but, me, let me real quick just read uh, the solicit here. Just so we can set up the story a little bit. Infinite Kung Fu walks you through familiar corridors in the house of martial mayhem, but still smashes your face through walls of wonder and into rooms where Kung Fu is afraid to go. The martial world is ruled by a mysterious emperor whose five armies are each headed by a cruel and highly skilled Kung Fu master. Li Kung, a soldier in one of these armies, grows tired of his master's evil ways and seeks enlightenment elsewhere. However... He soon finds that he's been chosen as the one who will put an end to the emperor's tyrannical rule personally. Allegiances are blurred as techniques are perfected and Lee Kung becomes less certain who's friend and who's foe in each chapter. Fists fly. Limbs are lost. 
That's true. Yeah. And blood vessels burst in this tale of furious rivals, supernatural masters, walking corpses, and above all, raging kung fu. Yeah, I mean, this one has it all. There, there's zombies, there's ninjas, there's gangsters. I mean, it's it's this book was so much fun. I burned through this. I mean, I think Joe Patrick read it in about seven weeks. I read it in two days. <laughs> I started reading it but a little bit at a time a couple of weeks ago. This was just absolutely beautiful to look at, fun, funny, ridiculous, and just interesting. I think it might be my favorite kung fu comic. <laughs> like, well, I mean, I loved this. As a representative of the genre, I guess it's hard to beat. It really, it, and speaking as somebody who's not as big a fan of the kung fu genre as Matt is, I loved it as well. It was just jam packed. With great art and fun story, and it there's so much going on, and the characters are so larger than life. Oh, it's just ridiculous! Like the lizard style and the the toad style, yeah. and the uh, the guy they call his the ponytail guy's thing the scorpion style because his his really long rat tail yeah. is like a scorpion tail. Uh, it was just so much fun. It's so much fun. You know, it, remi- it reminded me a little bit of some of the modern like kung fu hustle type. Stuff very much like where you know Chow, who also loved those, but those like old super violent, not flicks. like cartoony, right? Uh, you know, where in Kung Fu Hustling, you might punch a guy and he'll fly through 10 buildings. Well, they you also know. cut off people's arms and stuff. Oh, well, all right, <laughs> but it was like it was like Kill Bill and Kung Fu Hustle smooshed together, yeah, definitely. Um, and you know, that's kind of my frame of reference coming from outside, and not to mention like a solid 450 pages of. Comic for twenty five bucks for twenty five dollars. It's a huge bargain. You cannot beat this. Yeah, really, and Top and... Shelf puts out a great product. Yeah, they really do. Nice paper stock, really nice cover. I mean, it, this is a fantastic book. Yeah, if you're even only slightly interested, like me, I'm not a real well versed in kung fu. I read it and I loved it. It's a book that I would have bought. Um, luckily, I borrowed mats. So if you're not real sure, if you don't have somebody to loan it to you, I say run out and buy it. Yeah, because it's. It's wonderful. This is a huge buy it for me. I can't say enough good things. I really hope to see more from Kagan and Cloud. I don't care what it is. This guy's a fantastic artist and a fantastic storyteller. He's making that Mad Magazine money. Sort of break it, break it down like this. That is it for the two-headed don't get nerd this week. If thinly veiled gay jokes and a complete lack of professionalism and preparedness is what you look for in a comic book podcast, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes. Your star ratings are appreciated. But written reviews soothe our turkey and mashed potato stuffed bellies. Did we make thinly veiled gay jokes? Oh, are you kidding me? That's, Were that's they our, thinly veiled that's at all? bread and butter, baby. As always, you can find all things Two-Headed and Nerdy at Thank you again to everyone who clicked our donate button at Two-Headed Nerd. Hey, okay, whatever. You're jumping my lines. Oh, sorry. You Thank stopped you. reading. <laughs> Thank you again to everyone who clicked our donate button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. And if you haven't, your donation any amount not only helps keep the show going, but supplies us with beer money for that afternoon matinee of the Muppet movie with a theater full of other people's children. As always, you can find all things Two-Headed and Nerdy at TwoHeadedNerd.com, like our Twitter handles, links to Ask a Nerd, where you can ask any of your comic-related questions and ask for reading suggestions from the comic pushers. Also, gross. I know. Don't forget to send us your submissions for the THN mascot contest. 
get cracking, boys. This contest ain't going to win itself. Contest itself. <laughs> if that's not enough, head over to our Facebook page. You can become a fan of THN and answer the question of the week. This week's query, now that Johnny is back, should Spidey step down from his post on the FF? Or should he tell old Matchhead to flame off? See, I'm really torn on this. I love Spider-Man and Fantastic Four. To make it the Fantastic Five. Next week. Oh, God. Remember that book? It was awful. That was that's because it was it was MC two. Yeah, it was terrible. Next week we'll be answering your most personal and embarrassing comic questions in our Ask a Nerd segment. So shoot us your questions, nerds. But before we go, our weekly shout out goes to Cullen Bunn, writer of the Sixth Gun, who started following THN and Joe Patrick on Twitter. Suck it, Matt Bomb. But not me. Where do you, Cullen? I'm and- terrified. I'm going to say something really offensive. And until next time, true believers, this is the two-headed nerd signing off.